Um, so we're, we're talking about believing in love. And I want to tell you about something that really ticks me off. So that's how I like to start off my teachings, all right? I want to tell you about something that really aggravates me and gets under my skin um, is injustice, is when things are unfair. I don't know if you guys are like that, but I really struggle to not respond when things are unfair. So this is Eden. Um, she played uh, basketball this time, for, this winter for her first time. Um, unfortunately, she's about to miss that shot. So I just let you know she missed that shot, although she looks, her form is incredible, isn't it? Look at that, hand under the ball, elbow under, locked. It, that's really good, and she chucked it off the backboard, but it was close. Um, not in this game, but in a game around this time. So these are like eight-year-old kids. So just, you know, picture the scene here. Parents sitting around the edges. We're all like trying to be like chill. Like this is not a big deal. We all know this isn't a big deal. This is eight-year-olds. Like we're being realistic. So, and in this league, they're really nice. Like the refs don't call them anything. So if you travel occasionally or double dribble, no big deal. Like we'll just kind of let it go, remind you. So we were there one week. This was like the sixth or seventh weekend. And kids are traveling and double dribbling everywhere. And then Eden travels, and the guy blew the whistle and called her for it. And I felt, as a man of God, that that was unjust. Would you agree? I mean, when we see injustice in the world, what are we to do but act? I mean, what's that famous quote? I think it was Winston Churchill. It was like, evil happens because good people stand by quietly, right? I was not going to allow evil to happen. Well, on my watch, right? And so, no, but seriously, everything within me was like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. It's eight-year-olds. This, this person's not even a real ref. It's just some kid who put on a YMCA shirt before he got here. You know, like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. That's the internal dialogue. But the external dialogue that people can hear is much different. And, um, and I did, much to my embarrassment, I yelled at the ref. Um, I yelled at the ref at an eight-year-old basketball game. I said, come on, every kid's been doing that. I did. I said it a few times. And then a, and then a lady next to me, a parent from the other team, right, tried to be all self-righteous and holier than that. And she was like, she did travel a lot. And I was like, are you, you want to, I don't care that you're a woman, you know. You're going to talk to me about my girl? I said, every single kid out there has traveled and double dribbled. And that backed her down. Should I tell her the other thing I did in that game? This is really bad. Okay. So I was sitting next to my son, Elliot. And Elliot and I have this bad habit of making fun of people. Okay. Just going to bring it out. Um, And the coach on this other team... It was easy to make fun of. Is that okay to say? Like, I mean, it, 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 he was, it was like perfect comedic material. I didn't even have to try. And so Elliot and I were throwing little jabs back and forth, you know, thinking no one can hear us. And, uh, and then occasionally we're talking to the lady next to us who tried to shush me. I tried to make up with her later. So we were talking and like talking about the different kids in the team and like, and then uh, this one time this kid scores and the other coach goes ballistic. He was like, yeah, I'm, I kid you not. I mean, this guy was... He was over the top the whole time. Runs onto the court, picks the girl up, like in the middle of the game. And so I was like, that's got to be his daughter, right? And the lady's like, no, no, that's not his daughter. She just hasn't scored in a while. And I said, uh, I said well, who's his daughter? And she said, oh, it's, 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 it's my daughter. It's the same one that I told you was my daughter. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Have you heard everything we've said about your husband the last 20 minutes? Because it's true. That <laughs> yeah, was embarrassing. That wasn't the point, though. 
The point is, I get really upset about injustice. Uh, I remember one time I was standing in line at Blockbuster Video. That, that dates me a little bit. Has anybody ever been in a Blockbuster? Yep, and uh, some people, how many, who, who's never heard of Blockbuster? Uh, the, so the teenagers left. Come on, I know you guys don't know. All right, Blockbuster Video, I was in line. Do you remember how long those lines we got on Friday night? You know, you'd like weave like this. And, uh, and this guy is over on the side, you know, they had him on the side. He grabs a video and he walks past the line up to an open register because the other person had been taking a little bit too long. And I was like, what? We are all waiting in line and you, how selfish. And so as usual, I was like, don't say anything. You're a pastor, you're a Christian. Some of these people might show up in church. You don't want their first impression to be that's the guy that yelled at someone in public. But outside, on the outward side, I was like, hey, stranger. You know, I didn't say stranger. I said, hey, uh, there's 20 of us in line. Everyone else understands what's happening here. And he looked back at me. He like made made eye contact with me. Like, is he talking to me? I was like, who else am I talking to? You're the only jerk in the whole room right now, right? And, and, he, and, and he just, like, stays there. And I was like, well, what else am I going to do? I guess I got to go tackle him or something, you know? So I didn't. I was like, I looked at the other people in line. I was like, hey, I'm the only one who stuck up for y'all. You know, like, you should let me get to the front. I don't know if anyone else is like that. I actually, that's not true. I know one other person in the room is, at least is like that. Okay. Anybody else say things that they maybe shouldn't say, but you feel somewhat justified? Yeah, there's a couple of people. Okay. Yeah. What I find that's ironic, though, is I, I often speak up for things that are trivial, but I rarely speak up for things that really matter. Okay. Like the things that really matter in life, I rarely step into those situations. I rarely get like upset enough to do something about it. How about you? Do you ever think like, man, it is so unfair that there's enough food in the world to feed everyone, but people are starving. That really is unfair. It's really unjust. It's, it's probably worse, I'm gonna go out on a limb, than that wrong call that that idiot ref made, that 18-year-old. Um, you know, uh, it's probably worse, but what do we do about that? What do we do about hunger? What do we do when we see injustice happening? So uh, I'll tell you one more story. So I'll tell you a story about a time when I, when I didn't speak up, and I probably should have, okay? So we, we were at Wawa one night. I haven't told a Wawa story in a long time, so I feel like, you know, it's, it's a ripe moment. I love Wawa. Anybody else love Wawa in here? It is, it is I'll tell you, if you've known me for more than just this, the, the last year, Wawa's been a central part of my, like, life narrative for the last 15 years, and it is just God's total providence that we ended up in a church across the street from Wawa. I mean, it could not be more perfect. So anyway, and that is the exact Wawa for years that I would go to and talk to people and love on people, and uh, so anyway, love on people. That sounds so weird. I don't know, sorry, that was my little Christian speak slipping out there. I always thought that sounds so weird, like you walk up to someone and like rub on them or something. Um, just gonna love on you in the name of Jesus. So, all right, we were at Wawa, it was like seven, seven o'clock at night, and I went up to the, I went past the donut place, because I kind of like always look at them, I never buy one, but I like to look at them, and he was taking these whole trays of donuts and dumping them in a trash bag. And I, and I was like, What's going on? I said, where are you taking those? 
And he said, I'm going to throw them away. I, okay, can I have the other three trays? Can I just take them to my car? No. Wait. So if I take it right now, I have to pay for it. But if I leave it there for five seconds, you're going to throw it away. I was like, could you just leave it by the dumpster? And don't throw it in. I mean, seriously, these are perfectly fine. There's no difference. Nothing's happening. It's just an artificially imposed time limit where we're throwing away all this food. And I said, we should give this food to the poor. What are you guys doing with this food? And he said, we just throw it away. I said, so we tried to do something. We went and talked to the manager, and he was like, I can't do anything about this. It's a rule from corporate. So he gave me this corporate phone number. It sat on my desk for like three months. I did call it once. And got nowhere. And I gave up. And I, I just was thinking about, like, if, that was, if my family was literally in need, I wonder if I would have given up that easily. You know, if I was like, my kids are starving, my, my own kids, and there's this food being thrown away a mile from my house, because we actually lived just down the street from there then, I wonder if I would have tried harder. You know, I might have even, like, gotten in the dumpster. I'm just saying, like, if my kids are really starving, it produces desperation. But I didn't really care. I didn't really care. I like to say that I care, but I didn't really care about the other people in the world or, or in our neighborhood that are starving, because if I did, I probably would have tried harder. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's easy for me to speak up, speak up about injustice that is trivial, but the stuff that really matters that might take some work, it's hard for me to speak up. And I, I don't know if you're like that. Often we feel momentary guilt about bigger things. And so maybe we'll throw some money at it. Maybe we'll like give a little bit of money one time or, you know, whatever. Or, and, and, and to like, to, honestly, to satiate our guilt, right? And then, and then we just try to move on. And it's easy to move on. It's easy not to see that stuff. So we're talking about a couple instances where the love of God um, through Jesus uh, breaks through, okay, on Jesus' way to the cross. And so I want to tell you, I want to read with you a story um, as Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. This is just a couple days before he's going to be crucified, all right? And so we're going to read about this and, and see an interesting interaction that shows us what God's heart is about injustice. So the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. All right, this is one of the weirder stories in the Bible. Um, and like I, I said this last week, like there's sometimes when I'm teaching where I would like to just skip parts that are harder to explain. But honestly, things that are in there are in there for a reason. So let's try to understand them at least. So I'm going to tell you that this is the beginning of a story, then he's about to tell another story, and then he's going to end this story. So it's like a sandwich. And this thing with the fig tree is actually an acted out story, or an acted out parable. So Jesus liked to tell parables, or stories that were easy to understand, but told a deeper meaning. All right, stories that were easy to understand, but told a deeper meaning. This thing with the fig tree is an acted out parable. So he's not actually ticked off at this tree. Okay, and, and really, the tree is doing its thing. It's not even supposed to have figs yet. It's got leaves. It's doing its thing. He is gonna, he is gonna make a point though. All right, and so we're gonna read on. You'll come, we'll come back to the fig tree, don't worry. Those of you who really love trees, I'm gonna just give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. This ends kind of sadly for the tree, okay? Um, all right, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began to drive out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves 
and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Okay, if you are not, were not raised in church or you're not Jewish, this doesn't make any sense. So I need to give a little bit of background and explain it. Um, so in, when Jesus was walking on earth, obviously he was Jewish, okay? And he was in Jerusalem and they had the temple. And the temple was a building built where a place, a place where they could worship. And it kind of symbolized the presence of God with their nation. It not only took on religious overtones, but it eventually took on nationalistic and uh, na- national pride overtones. And so in this little outer court, it was supposed to be the court of Gentiles. Okay, what that means is anybody who's not Jewish. And it was specifically built, God had told them to build this for people who aren't Jewish to come worship God. All right? And in that place, they had put this uh, buying and selling of animals that needed to happen. So it's not the buying and selling of animals that is the bad thing. This is supposed to be happening. It's just supposed to be happening outside the temple. They brought it in for a lot of reasons. and, And they did some, you know... If, depending who you read about this, there was a little bit of like um, extortion going on, you know, like raising of prices and stuff like that. But mostly, this was something that was needed because, uh, well, there's a whole lot of reasons I don't need to tell you about. But this was a good thing that was happening. It was happening in the wrong place. So, and, and actually, if you read all four accounts of Jesus's life, you'll find that he did this in the beginning of his life too, in the beginning of his ministry. So around when he was 30 years old, he went to the temple and did the same thing. He came back three years later and they hadn't really listened to him. So I want you to think about God and his heart for people who don't know him. We talk about this a lot at City Light. God is driven towards those who are broken. He's driven towards, towards those who don't know him. And if, if, you wanna, if you believe this story that I believe, God who asked them to build the temple is the same God who came as Jesus and now is the person that we worship. He had told them, build this section of the temple for everyone who isn't Jewish to come worship me. And imagine his heartbreak when he walked in physically and saw that there was no room for the Gentiles to worship. So what's going on here is not, oh, they're charging too much for doves. What's going on here is they were supposed to be the hope of the nations. The Jews were supposed to be the resting place of God for the world, not for themselves. But they had gotten it distorted and backwards, and they had closed the walls. They had closed the gates. They had said, this more, this much and no more, right? This is for us. So I'm going to read what he said. He said, as he taught them, he said, is it not written my house? will be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. So he came in, and I want you to hear this because the church today has the same kind of symbolic thing that the temple had. We're supposed to be the place for all people to come meet Jesus. If not here, where? So he judged their exclusivity, and he judged their abuse of power. They were exclusive. They made it so it was only for them. And they abused their power. See, they were given, you know, this is what the Jews believed. They were given the righteousness of God and the riches of God. And it wasn't so they could celebrate that and hold it to themselves. But that's what they did. But they were supposed to use their power, to use their riches, to use their influence for those with less power, for those with less money, for those with less influence. But they had circled the wagons. And this is, this is what drove Jesus to walk in. Jesus was like, I didn't set it up this way. 
He looked around. He said, where are the broken? Where are the hurting? Where are the, the Gentiles? Where are those who are far from God? How is it you're not using all that I've given you and giving it away? And it broke his heart. And it drove him to really the most dramatic thing we ever read about. It's him walking in. This is so out of character. This reminds me of me. I mean, maybe I should have gone farther when that guy called to travel on Eden. I should have flipped over the scores table, you know? What is this injustice, you know? These are kids. Jesus, the thing I think that angers him, like if you read the, the, the whole account of his three years of ministry, the thing that drives him to anger, the thing that, that this, is, this is like a spike in his emotions, is when the people who are far from God are not permitted to be close to God. When, when, when the people he said, you are my messengers, you are my delegates to the broken world, cease to be his messengers and his delegates and instead keep it to themselves. Isn't that a powerful statement for us as a church? Are our doors and our hearts wide open to the broken and the hurting, to the ones who don't know Jesus, to the ones who are far from God? It's just so powerful. Okay, so then he goes on, uh, the chief priests, I'm going to skip through this real quick. They decided at that time they really needed to kill him. I mean, this is really where it's just like, he is, he is saying that we're doing everything wrong. He's, he's breaking our system. We need to get rid of this guy. So then they left and they went back to the fig tree and it, it was dead. And he said, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. What's the point? Jesus was saying, this temple system is so broken, I have to end it. And the only way for me to end it is to die on the cross and start new with me. And do you know what ended this day was the temple? And what started when he rose from the dead was the church. And that's, we've taken this responsibility now. And that's the picture of the tree. He came to the tree and he said, you look good. You've got leaves, but you're not feeding the hungry. So symbolically, I want you just to see what's going to happen. I'm going to kill this tree. And they said, they were amazed. And he said, listen, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, and, and I think he's talking about the mountain that the temple was built on, okay? Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Is he really saying that you could say to a mountain, it'll throw in the sea? I don't personally think so. You can go to some churches where they'll tell you that. I don't think we should say that to mountains personally. I feel like that could do a lot of damage if I start throwing mountains around, right? Especially with my temper, you know? That ref would be in a lot of trouble. Um, I think he's saying what he says in other places. With man, this seems impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Have big faith. So when we look at hunger, when we look at injustice, when we look at human trafficking, right? When we look at poverty and it seems too big we need to remember the god who said say to this mountain go throw yourself in the sea he's saying with by yourself on your own this might be impossible but with god and with each other you can do a lot more than you think so here's the thought for today i'm almost done god's love because it was his love for the people who are being excluded from his presence who are being excluded from his temple it's god's love that compels us to do what we can 
for who we can right now. There's no, there's no excuses then. Do what you can for who you can right now. So I'll tell you a, a quick story. I was, um, this was maybe like eight or nine years ago, and one of the things that was stirring in my heart was, was I just started to get really upset and burdened about human trafficking. So what I would say is you need to think about, you can't solve every problem. So you need to see where God starts to lead you. So I want to ask you, like, what's your what? And who's your who, okay? What's your what? What do you have? Do you have influence? Do you have position? Do you have a network of people? Do you have money? Do you have compassion? Do you have time? Anybody have time? Anybody? What is your what? So I was in this position. I had gotten a side, uh, a side job where I was now the leader of our region in the vineyard of all of our youth groups, okay? So I, I led the coordinated with the youth pastors from Maine to Virginia at that time. And I was sitting in front of my desk and I was researching this uh, nonprofit that I love called Love 146. And they do great work freeing people from human trafficking and rehabbing them and counseling them and restoring them to life and doing education on the preventive care side as well. And I was like, what's my what? At that moment, I all of a sudden had a what that I didn't have before. I had influence and a network. And I thought, I'm always thinking, I wish I could do something about this. But you know what? I feel too small, blah, blah, blah. It was an excuse. All of a sudden, I had this network, and I said, I can actually do something. And so I started this thing called Free Indeed, where every year, all the youth groups from Maine to Virginia would spend a weekend raising money and raising awareness for human trafficking. The first year we did it, we raised $13,000, and we donated it to Love 146. The second year, it was like $8,000, and then to be totally honest, it fizzled out. But those two years were grand, okay? And and I'm just saying, like, what's your what? What do you have? All of you have something that you can bring. And who is your who? Like, who is in your life? You can't just wait until the perfect moment. In fact, the people who fight injustice are the people who do it on a regular basis as it walks into their life. When they see it. They step into the moments where they see someone who's in need, or they see someone hurting, or they see someone who they can help, who they think, I have a what that, that who could use. Sounds like I'm Dr. Seuss. Uh, but God's love compels us to do what we can for who we can right now. All right, one more story. So I was, we were, we were um, getting McDonald's ice cream. It's also a thing we do a lot. And we were driving out of the parking lot. There's like a, it was like in a tiny little strip mall. And we, do you remember this? We saw this guy. And he was like physically, um, like, like, what's the word? It almost looked like he was assaulting a girl, a woman. He, and he like pushed her and kind of like pushed her again, pushed her up against the wall a little bit. And it was like outside of a bar. I stopped the car and I thought, what can I, you know, can, can I like, can I drive by this? I'm not very strong. Like my what is not much on this one, right? What's my what? I was like, my kids were little. Like, now I got two teenage boys. It would have been a little bit more intimidating. But I had, like, I had like an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. That wouldn't have worked. You know, I could have thrown them at them. But, um, you know, what's my what? But I thought, I can't, I can't in good conscience not do this. Like, and, and so, and who's my who? Like, Jesus teaches your who is whoever is in need that you know about. He tells a whole story about that, right? Who's my neighbor? Whoever's in need that you know about. So who's my who? I was like, my who is that lady who's about to get beat up. And my what is whatever I can do. So I hopped out of the car, remember? And, and it was like, I think we were all a little bit scared. 
that the only person that was going to get hurt was me, right? But I, I, I kept my distance, but I sounded really authoritative because I had practice at that, you know? I used my yelling at the ref voice. And I just, I, I yelled at the guy enough to like get attention of other people and stuff. And then it was like embarrassing for them and, and they cooled down, you know? And it, I, I think it was probably a bad situation, but the woman was like, no, I'm fine. It's going to be okay. It's all good. I said, can I call the police? Can I call someone? Can I take you somewhere? All those things. But whatever, I stepped into that moment. So that was like one of my times where I actually did something that was fighting injustice. That one, better than Blockbuster, all right? God's love compels us to do what we can for who we can right now. We have an awesome video testimony that we're gonna show you right now about one such thing that has happened in our church. About four years ago, I went to Freedom Outreach Camp as a counselor. I used to be a camper there, but then I, like, I guess leveled up to a counselor or whatever. And this was a time, I was 14 years old, and it was a time where I felt like my life was, like, falling apart and fading out of, like, God's view, kind of, if that makes sense. And, like, I wasn't known by God anymore, and that it was just, it was a hard time for me because my father, he wasn't really, like, in my life anymore because my mom and my dad were together for a long time, but then they separated, and... When he left, I felt like God left too. That's honestly how I felt because he was my father and I viewed God as my father. But when he left, I felt like God left and God wasn't really caring anymore. So my driver by the name of Ruth Owens, and if you know Ruth Owens, she's a person who just, she knows she's a daughter of God. She just exudes the love of God. And if when you're in her presence, you can just feel it. And it's, it's an incredible feeling. Um, so she drove me up to the camp. And this is when I first met her. And she fast forward, she drove me back from camp and I got in contact with her. And since then, she's just been in my life. Ever since that moment, she's been constantly assuring me that I'm a son of God and that I'm loved by God. And that there, there's people that care about me and that my circumstances and like the things that I'm going through, like struggling with, like not having the resources that I needed, my mom not being there, like taking care of me and just struggling and having a hard time. She assured me that like that didn't disqualify me from the love of God. That didn't like the things it it it, it qualified me basically. It put me back in his presence. She she reconciled me with the love of God kind of. She brought that back to me. That that feeling of knowing that you're loved by God and if you don't get anything out of this, I just want you to understand that when we feel isolated, when we feel alone and excluded from God, we're not cuz he's always there. Like that's what he came to do, just to love us and to love us relentlessly. And that's what I have felt. And like I've been constantly growing in my relationship with him. And I'm thankful that I have people who can show me tangible love because we all have those experiences and they change us. And I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to share with you guys my story, a little bit of my story. And if you want to know more, 302-358-7719, me up and, and that's it. All right, so um, uh, Ruth did what she could for who she could right away. That's all we have to do. That's how we can join Jesus in bringing his love to fight the injustice in the world. And together, we can make a bigger difference. If it, what if the whole church was always looking for that? And so on the back of your piece of paper you got when you came in today, 
Um, I've listed out, it's not like very thorough, just because I wanted to give you a quick snapshot, but I've listed out all the nonprofits that we volunteer with at City Light, and we're, we're building more and more partnerships. Um, and so you can take some time and think about, our, would I like to start volunteering at one of these places? You can start making a difference right now. You have something that you can give. So can we all stand up together? Um, I'm going to embarrass Ruth real quick. I asked Ruth to come this morning so we could clap for her. Ruth is right here. Can we just give her a hand? So during this last song, we have a response and reflection time um, after the teaching each week. So a couple things that you can do. You can sing this last song with us. Um, you can spend some time just reflecting on what you can do and what you have and who you have. Maybe God will start to put some of that on your heart. Um, also, uh, we had a, someone was praying beforehand and felt that the Lord put on their heart that um, people who need a, a miraculous breakthrough of any kind in their life should head on over to the wall and get prayed for. So we have people over there ready to pray for you. If you're, if you're looking for a breakthrough in your life, it can be emotional, relational, health issue, financial, um, you know, workplace thing. Just, it never hurts. And oftentimes it helps. So head on over and get some prayer. And we're going to sing this last song together.